The transition into your 50s can bring up a lot of questions about what's next in life. For many, it's a time of reinvention and discovering new purpose beyond the responsibilities and focus areas of earlier decades. My guest today went through his own major before and after moment at age 47 that caused him to reflect deeply on how he wanted to live out the rest of his life. He has some profound perspectives to share about making the most of your 50s and beyond. Today, we'll be discussing how to create fulfilling new chapters, the epidemic of loneliness in middle age, and the power of community to spark positive change. I hope you'll join us for a thought-provoking conversation about getting more out of the second half of your life. Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Adrian Jones is here, and he's going to help us combat loneliness and create our what's next to live our best, most fulfilling lives. If you feel like life has gotten stale and you're not sure how to make this decade the best time of your life, stick around. You're not going to want to miss a word of this conversation. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned makes the world's best natural remedies. They're best known for their line of full-spectrum CBD products, which are beyond organic. Their hemp is actually biodynamically grown just for them. And with the wild rise in the popularity of CBD products these days, there are tons of options in the marketplace. But if you want to be 100% sure that you are getting the finest full-spectrum bioavailable CBD products, definitely check these guys out. Now, that being said, they also have a full line of sleep support products, and I am madly in love with their magnesium product. It's called Mellow. It helps me de-stress and optimizes my sleep, and it's a part of my pre-bed routine every single night. So if you're interested in learning more, head over to silveredgepartners.com and click on the Ned icon. And because you're a listener of this show, you can save 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code SILVEREDGE at checkout. That's silveredgepartners.com and use coupon code SILVEREDGE. I'll run together, no spaces. Okay, let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Adrian Jones. AJ is a heart attack survivor who experienced a dramatic perspective shift in his late 40s that led him to reinvent his purpose. While recovering, he felt called to inspire others to live life to the fullest. AJ began writing, speaking, and podcasting to share his message of hope. Ultimately, he left his corporate career in finance to co-found a company called More, aimed at helping Gen Xers create fulfilling new chapters. Through intimate retreats, small group coaching, and a supportive community, Moore is on a mission to help midlife adults get more meaning, connection, and joy out of their second act. Without further ado, let's meet AJ. Let's back up a little bit and, and get to know you. And I think probably the best way to do that is you had a pretty dramatic event in your life. Why don't we start there and talk about how maybe that changed the course of your life and how that ended up with you and I on this conversation today. So on Saturday the 8th of October, 2016, uh, I'm mountain biking with three friends on a perfect, quintessentially beautiful fall morning. And we're riding up a pretty steep ascent. And it's hilly here, if you know the, the geography of, of, of the area just north of San Francisco. Uh, we're going up a steep ascent, and that's when it hit me. I lost 
all the strength in my legs, like in an instant snap of a finger. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's going on? Am I dehydrated? I'd taken my daughter out for a dad-daughter sushi date the night before. I concluded, oh my gosh, this must be dehydration. And I pedaled on it, labored to pedal one stroke after the other to catch up with my friends. And they were waiting for me because something unusual was really happening to me. And when I caught up to them, it's all I could do to click out of my pedals and get off my bike. And I stumbled over to a bush and started to get extraordinarily nauseous and started vomiting all over the place. I'm sorry for the TMI, but these are facts. And shortly thereafter, I started to get extreme pain in my chest. And then ultimately, I lost the really any feeling in my uh, pinky and ring fingers of both hands. And that's when I knew something was really, really wrong. Fortunately, we were able to get down the hill. My three friends were able to, we were able to ride and walk down to my friend's car. It took about 45 minutes, believe it or not, to get down to the parking lot where the trailhead led you out into the parking lot. And he threw me in his car, raced with me to the local hospital. And it was there I learned in short order that I was suffering a major heart attack. When I entered the hospital, I can tell you, here's a here's a hack to get into the emergency room really quickly, Kevin, is to walk in and say, you're in your late 40s, your your chest hurts and you're have, having trouble breathing because that is yeah, yeah, like I had two nurses standing next to me I, I, so fast. I couldn't even believe it given my historical experiences in, a, in, in the emergency room where you wait and wait and wait. This was immediate. They raced with me into the, into the ER where nurses started to attach um, IVs to my, my arms and put defibrillators on my chest. And the, the doctor came in and told me I was having a heart attack and surgery was required immediately. I had no strength. I'm laboring to breathe. Like literally it is, you know, they say you might've heard that heart attack feels like an elephant sitting on your chest. It really felt that way. It's a great way to describe it. I, I add a little color to that and, it, uh, and say that it feels like there were a million needles in my chest cavity. Every breath, I was just pressing my my inner cavity against these needles. It hurt so much. And so I, the, the nurse handed me a pen and, and two <clears throat> contract forms, a release forms, one for open heart surgery and the other for a stent procedure. I was so weak that I, that's all I could do to hold the, the pen in my hand. And she just swiped the contract across the tip of the pen just to put a mark. I couldn't even put a signature on the on the papers and they ran with me literally ran with me into the cath lab uh, where 45 minutes later I was the proud owner of a new stent in my left anterior descending artery also known as the widowmaker artery and I had a new lease on life wow yeah what a story so how old were you when this happened I was two days before my 47th birthday so almost 47 all right so talk to us here you are it's 2016, it's this beautiful, idyllic October day. You're out mountain biking riding with your friends in very Mm -hmm. hilly terrain. What kind of shape were you in? Looking back, I suppose, were there warning signs or did this just come out of nowhere? So I'd like to think I was in pretty good shape for being in in my mid-40s. I'd played sports uh, through college. And so being active was always a part of my life At, at that time. I was uh, doing a lot of yoga. That was my my main form of exercise in my mid-40s. And I'm terribly inflexible, so I don't want to give anyone the impression I'm the super talented, strong, and flexible yogi. But I found it to be a great release uh, physically and, and, and spiritually and mentally being on the yoga mat. 
And I was just getting back into mountain biking. It had been probably two decades since I had last been an active mountain biker. So I I'd purchased a bike a few months earlier. I was just getting out on the trails. And so I would, I, I would like to think, was I in su- the, the pinnacle of supreme health and fitness? No. Uh, but I certainly wasn't lagging either. And I'm probably somewhere in the middle and, and working out a few days a week or doing yoga uh, at least three days a week. Were there warning signs? As I play things back in my mind, I was mountain biking a few days, probably two weeks prior to this very near fateful day where I was climbing up a steep ascent on my mountain bike with a friend and I got extremely nauseous. And at the time, I thought that that was an afternoon ride and I thought the lunch I had caused my nausea. I had had a cream of potato soup. And so I thought, hmm, maybe the cream just didn't right. settle well maybe, in my stomach. Maybe not, not the best, optimal. best choice, right, to fuel for a, for a grueling <laughs> for, ride, for, but okay. Yeah. For a grueling ride sure, with, guess, with a fair amount of exertion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in my mind, I thought, oh, well, yeah. it must must have been like what a, what a bad food choice <laughs> prior to the ride. That's the only clue that I have that maybe mm. something was starting to not be right. Because what happened, my diagnosis was when I was on the operating table, for my heart attack, my left anterior descending artery, again, aka the Widowmaker, had become 100% blocked by arterial plaque rupture. So something, whether it all happened that same day on that ride, or it was incrementally experiencing many ruptures and starting to create a, a blockage, like like a, a beaver puts trees in a, a, a stream and creates a dam. I mean, I think maybe it was something similar to that. We don't know. All we know is the facts that the doctors observed when I was on the operating table. And that's what we go with. So yeah, was I the the top of fitness? No. Uh, was I a slouch? Definitely not. I was fairly active and, and just aware of being fit and enjoy being in a, a, a fit person who can move my body through life and do right. the things I enjoy doing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's terrifying because there is this strange phenomenon of just every once in a while, this dude, and you're the archetype of that dude, right? He's in his mid-40s, and he's active. And he's usually active in some sort of a – in a cardio way. He's a biker. He's a marathoner. He's a runner. Something like that. And he drops dead of a heart attack, and everybody's shocked. Nobody can believe it. The dude yeah, – I mean, yeah, he he was always active. And that that is a weird thing. And you came, I guess, that close to being that guy, right? So mm-hmm. let's, let's back up a little bit before we dive into the subject. Now, before all of this – you were, what was your career and family life? I'm, I'm assuming the kids were still home. You're married. You've got this high flying, is it safe to say, pretty stressful career in financial services? What what did life look like prior to this event? Yeah. I So in fact, we just celebrated 25 years of, of marriage just rock very on. recently. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. yeah, rock on. But yeah, so we'd been married for a, a, a fair number of years. Now, what were we at? You know, 18 years or something like that. Uh, our kids were mm, 13 and 11 around this time. We lived in and, and do live in a place called Marin County, which is just over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. I commuted every day, three hours a day in total, uh, about an hour and a half in, hour and a half back to work in financial services. I was on that corporate ladder, had been on that corporate ladder for two plus decades with a couple of stops, you know, employer stops along the way. Yeah, it was stressful. There's no doubt about it. Being in that grind and having to deliver results 
very periodically on a quarter by quarter basis on an annual basis. Yeah, there's a fair amount of stress without a doubt. And, and just the toll of commuting and managing that, that takes a toll. I think we really discount the toll of commuting to and from work can take on us. Traffic, getting there on time to cat for me in my case, I had to catch a ferry, get there, get to the parking lot of the ferry in time to park and walk to the ferry and have, you know, have time to get on the ferry and all those sorts of things all adds up. It's just this little drip of stress that's constantly uh, dripping on you. So it was, yeah, it was stressful. I wasn't grinding work 24 hours a day. I'm certainly not one of those people. I was the first to be up in the house in the morning and I would catch an early morning ferry into work, but I did that so that I could be home for dinner. So what was really important for me was to be home every night for dinner for, with my family. And I think I had about a 90% hit ratio there while we were raising kids. So unless it was something work-related, I was home for dinner. Gotcha. Okay. It Looking back, what do you attribute that heart attack to? What mm. caused it? I am absolutely not a cardiologist, so full disclosure. I've done a fair amount of reading on the topic, as you might imagine, as a result of being a survivor. 80%, as I understand it, of heart disease is preventable, right? It's diet. It's exercise. It's stress management. 20% is genetic. For me, part of my story grew out of the heart attack. So to answer your question, I'm adopted. And up until my heart attack, I had contemplated searching for my biological family, but it was never something I really wanted to do. But after the heart attack, literally as a post-op in, in, in the ICU of the cardiac recovery wing, that was the first thought I had when I was left alone to my thoughts by the nurses was to find my biological family, to understand why this happened to me. I'm healthy. I'm on top of my diet. I'm active. I think I'm managing my stress, although I, in retrospect, I wasn't properly. Why did this happen? And so it so turns out, uh, I did go find my biological family. They live in the area and in many, many regards. It's, it's a Hallmark movie uh, with reunion. It's gone very well. What I did find is that heart disease is a serial killer in the maternal line of my family. It's taken out my biological grandparents and an uncle at relatively very early ages. I think I lost a biological uncle at 50 um, to a heart attack. And I lost a grandmother all on the maternal side, of course, in her early sixties. And my, that grandfather was probably mid sixties. I believe if I have it right in my brain now. So there's something going on in, in these, these genes There's something congenital happening, I believe. So that's what I, I think really contributed to it, that there's just something in the blood, so to speak, that contributed to my inability to process fats, saturated fats, which creates bad cholesterol, which collected in my arteries, which led to the the, the ultimate heart attack. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for that. I just, I've just kind of, you must have had obviously some time to, to think about that. Oh yeah. The years since just wondered how that's, how that settled with you. Now, how has your life changed since and what in what ways did it change and i i want to look at this in a couple different ways i want this to lead us into our conversation but before we get yeah. there because i'm such a health exercise nutrition nerd i want to know did you make changes to the way you ate or the way you exercised or managing your stress did you start right away saying okay i've got to clean some things up if so what were they and how did that look yeah absolutely made changes right out of the gates I was discharged from the hospital after three days 
And then I was on leave from work for about three and a half to four months. And right, at least where, where I live for the cardiac care and recovery process, a couple things happen immediately. First of all, they pair you up with a nutritionist. So I, I met with her. She was fantastic. And she introduced me to the concept of the Mediterranean diet, which was re- really, really eye-opening. And one of the big ahas for me, which I, I like sharing because it, it grabs people's attention, is that I'd always g- live my life thinking that pork is the other white meat, the other white meat being chicken, and that it's therefore healthier for you than red meat. But what she articulated to me was that red meat is actually a should be considered a broader definition of just beef. It should include lamb and pork because they all contain the same levels of saturated fat, certainly different cuts and will have different varying amounts of saturated fat. But when you think about your red meat consumption, include lamb and pork in that. And that blew my mind because I thought I was making really good consumption decisions, eating pork, opting for pork and not beef in my diet. So there's a big transition over to the Mediterranean diet. So that was dietary. From an exercise standpoint, uh, the other thing that they do is they put you into cardiac rehab. Cardiac rehab is a, a program you, you enter for about two to three months where you go three days a week for one hour and slowly rebuild your physical capabilities, and as well, a subset of that is your psychological and your psyche capabilities to live life as a heart attack survivor. So I would go into this program every other day in the afternoon for an hour. They would hook me up to leads that would be tied to a computer to watch the electrical rhythms of my heart. They would test my blood pressure from time to time, and I would slowly work on exercise equipment, gaining strength from where when I first started the program, I was gingerly walking on the treadmill to when I graduated out a couple months later, I'm strenuously riding on bikes and running on treadmills and sweating like crazy. So it was an incredible program. So that put me on the path of exercising three days a week, which I, I was already doing, but really making it a more of a, a religious situation. Then lifestyle-wise, and maybe this is ultimately a springboard for where we're going to go with this conversation. But I laid in bed while I was on leave when all this was happening, and I would lay in bed day after day, stare at the ceiling, and wondered why I survived. Like, you don't suffer a major widowmaker heart attack, as you alluded to earlier, out on the trails. Like, I, I'm a good statistic, but there are a lot of bad statistics. And had I stayed out riding or had I been riding by myself, I wouldn't have made it down alive. It would have been a tragedy and I would have been one of the unfortunate statistics. So I would lay there and ask the universe, why did I survive? Why did you give me the second chance? What, What am I supposed to do with this? Do I go back to my old life where I'm commuting three days a week, climbing that corporate ladder or trying to and meeting all these uh, corporate objectives and KPIs? Or is there something else for me? But I don't know what that is. And the answer that came back was really powerful. It was, use your story to help and inspire people. That was so powerful, super resonated with me. I just had no idea how to manifest it. Like, how do I bring this to life? I have no clue. I got my MBA and did business strategy within the financial services sector for years and years and years. Like, I don't know what this means. But that started whole process within me, which I believe we're going to be talking about here shortly, about how I want to live my life and engage with life and ultimately make this my life's mission. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, thank you for sharing that. That is exactly the the perfect springboard for what we want to talk about. So you have, I mean, this was definitely, I think, 
we can agree that this was definitely a before and after defining moment in your life, right? There's there's a few of those in Absolutely. everybody's life. And yeah. Certainly, I think all listeners, whether they have experienced something like this themselves or they have a family member, or even if you haven't, I think just hearing the story, you can imagine how that might divide your, your life into a before and after. So now you've got this new venture, you've got this new lease on life, you've reinvented yourself. So we're going to go, spoiler alert, you're not, you're not with the, with the financial sector anymore. You're not, you don't care about those KPIs and shareholder quarterly numbers, all that kind of stuff. What do you care about? What are you doing today? Yeah. At its core, I want to help people. And ultimately being a heart attack survivor and knowing how wonderful this life is, and the perspective I got about having one shot, like, and we, and I think we all intuitively know this. Yeah, we have one life to lead, and all this, these sorts of things. But to be as close to, well, I mean, I was on my technical deathbed. I didn't flatline. I want to be very clear, but I don't think I was far off from that. But to have the perspective of, of bouncing back and hopefully bouncing forward, as I like to say, was was really really Im- important for me. And I look around, and I looked around at my peers and my friend groups and my colleagues. Like, ah, how are they living life? Like, are are they really celebrating it? Are they getting the most out of it? And is there something I can do with the perspective that I have and this commitment of this higher calling to go help and inspire people? So that's what I've I've started to build out. And I've partnered with a a co-founder, a friend of mine that we went to undergraduate college back <laughs> back in the Stone Age, as it were these days. But ultimately, the the dent we want to put in the world is to help Gen Xers, and we're specifically targeting Gen Xers, that's our age group, grow together, create their what's next, and ultimately get more out of life. Like that's at its core, when you strip it all down, that's what we care about. That's the dent we want to put in the world. And our enemy, our ultimate enemy is suffering in silence. Like you get to the sandwich generation age and Oh my gosh, there's so so much going on. You're, if you have children, they're likely moving out of the house and starting their own lives as young adults. Your parents, maybe they've already passed on or maybe they're dying or moving into memory care, having all sorts of health challenges. Your career might feel really weird at this age. You might not feel as refreshed going to work as you used to do in your younger years. Your spouse might leave you after what you thought was a wonderful 25, 30 year marriage, but Apparently it wasn't. And you're gutted and you're sleeping on your friend's sofa trying to figure life out. Like, we don't want people to be in these situations and these transitions suffering and and feeling this existential form of loneliness. We want to create the antidote to that. And that's why we've built this company called More, M-O-R-E. We've just very recently launched it a couple months ago. And we're bringing to life, like, literally as we're having this conversation right now, Kevin, it's all starting to happen. So I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited about where we're going and the impact that we can make and the dent we can put in the world. Yeah, no, you've used that expression a couple of times, the dent in the universe, dent in the world, making an impact. Clearly, you've got this vision and you're, you've got this calling to do this. I love all that. We're going to pick all that apart. But let's back up just a little bit because you had mentioned, sure. hey, my conversation here is with Gen Xers. Who are the Gen Xers? Let's define them by like their age. Cause I'm not really sure what that age, but is that, is that people in their men and women in their fifties and kind of what defines that group? Exactly. So from an age demographic basis, these are people who are around 45 years old to 60 years old. Gotcha. So born birth years between 65 and 
1965 and 1980. All right. So, like, for example, I'm 64. I'm I'm just on the cusp of Boomer and Gen X. Is that right then? Yeah, that's right. I'll be an honorary member of, of of your club, though, there. Because yeah, absolutely. Heart. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, All right. So exactly. basically, for our audience, and just fit, we could just say fifties in general, right? It, I think that's fair to say. It, it, yep. What what defines this age group besides just mm. that age? What are their characteristics? I mean, you mentioned a few of them, right? That were, there's some life changes that happen in their fifties that I think is very compelling and interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you just look at what's of life events that's mm-hmm. that's taking place for for people in this age category, all the things we've just talked about, like I think that's that's really critical. And and you know, I, I think another aspect of of very specifically this group of fifty year olds is we're defined as the lost generation. You see that uh, out there. Like when we were kids, it was all about our parents. And then was when we became parents, it was all about our kids. And we had phones and we took pictures and followed around with videos and all this sort of – taking videos and all this sort of stuff. And so Gen X has been sort of uh, – I'm not the author of The Ultimate Guide to Being a Gen Xer by any stretch, but you know, we, fended, we fended for ourselves growing up. You know, we drank water out of the hose and, and, and did all those things and just got on our bikes and hopefully we're home in time for dinner when the, the streetlights went on. You know, that's kind of how it was for us. And so I think – We've got a different resiliency than 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 other generations, and I, I also think that we are viewing so this is again broad generalization, but it's just from my very unscientific study is that we're not. I don't really know people in in, in my age group, early mid fifties. Maybe we're too young for this thought, but we're not quite like thinking about, I can't wait to get to that retirement community. I can't wait to just golf every day. Like, I don't know. I haven't heard that. I think people still feel like they've got gas in the tank. They, they want to go do something else. They want to create. They, they're not ready to just ease that proverbial caddy into the garage and collect the Rolex from their career and wait for the grandkids to come around. I, I, maybe we're just, maybe it's just a observation of my exact age and the people I hang out with, but I just think there's a little bit of a difference in our generation than the generations that came prior. And we're living longer, right? Knock on wood, we're, we're, we're lifetime expectancies getting pushed out for men and women. So sitting here, I'm 54 years old, you know, I've got, at least on paper, a good 20 years of, of uh, almost like a generation of, of work that I could do uh, from where I sit today, uh, where I think previous generations didn't have that luxury or perspective. Uh, so I think those are some things that that I would summarize that that's going on for our and, and then specifically for the the people we're trying to target is is not just are you a Gen Xer but there's this whole concept there's a a New York Times columnist David Brooks and he wrote a really interesting book called The Second Mountain and we've taken a lot of inspiration from it and basically I think you'd summarize it very quickly this way. There, there are two mountains in life. There's the first mountain, which is all about accumulation. I accumulate uh, a family, a career, uh, responsibilities, material possessions, and so forth. The second mountain in life is about purpose. Whereas the first mountain is about me, the second mountain is about we. And, and where we're interested in talking to people is when they're in the saddle, so to speak, between these two mountains, where they're like, ah, what is my what's next? Like, is this it? Is this what life is going to be like? Like, I still got energy. My body's still propelling me through the universe, but 
Is there something else out there for me? Like those are the sorts of people that psychograph that we want to, when we think about our demographics for, for our target market, that those are the people we're looking to speak to. Yeah, that's very eloquently put. And as you, as you talk through that, I certainly can, that resonates with me, right? As I moved into my fifties, you know, I had this odd, it was, it's this very, surreal feeling. I didn't feel like I was 50. And especially as I, you know, as on my health and optimization journey, and I, I really was feeling physically well, I was, my, my emotional game was coming together. I was discovering myself. I had purpose. I had passion for the first time, maybe ever, right in my fifties. And yet I felt like, you know, at fifties, that's old. And a lot of my, my peer group, my immediate peer group, males my age, kind of had this very fatalistic, it's all downhill sort of outlook on life. And I feel like this is just 50s is this very pivotal time because, as you mentioned, there's all these life changes, right? Um, there's kids leaving the house, and that's a huge one, especially for a lot of us. You had mentioned we're that in that generation where when we were younger, it was all about our parents. And now, you know, then it became all about our kids. And certainly once those kids go and at that, perhaps the children were the cement in your marriage. And when they're gone, that, like you mentioned, the, maybe that marriage dissolves or, but it's a time for us to, I think, reflect on ourselves and what we want and to maybe invest in ourselves, invest in self care or invest in this to really rediscover our purpose, our passion, our calling. Because maybe in our thirties and forties, we were in that first mountain. We were busy raising children and we were completely consumed with our children, our spouses, our social things, our certainly our careers for a lot of us. That's how I define myself and said, Hey, who are you or what do you do? The, one of the first things I'd say is, well, I'm, I'm a corporate sales guy, right? That's not who I was. It's what I did. But I was very, you know, I'm trying to accumulate wealth. So very much in that first mountain. And then this second mountain, and by the way, I, that's a new concept to me. I, I have to check out that book, The Second Mountain. Thanks for bringing that up. But that idea that now we're I'm going from this me, this, I guess, me focus to this we focus. How do I, how do I give back? How do I contribute? How do I, how do I recognize something bigger than myself and participate in that? And I'm very, very fascinated in that part of, of life. And I love this concept of having these two mountains and you're trying to catch these folks right in the middle. So that's, that's your audience. That's who you're speaking to. What are you telling them? You're not alone. We're, what we are seeing is, unfortunately, is happening. And, and it's just not a good news story for Americans at all. And, and for people of our age bracket, it, it's only going to get worse. At least that's what the data shows, is loneliness. Loneliness is a, is a massive crisis. Uh, I think it is completely uncovered in the media. I think there are a lot of really smart people looking at it nowadays, but it at the end of the day, and I, I talked about suffering in silence, like this is our absolute thing we're, we're trying to fight against. Like you're not alone. There's a community of like-minded people that are going through something very similar that can affirm you, can support you, can recognize you, can be an idea factory for you as you think about your what's next in your life. Beyond your, your core friends and your family, there's a whole group of people, this community we're trying to build with more where you can tap into it and, and figure out where you want to go with things with people who are working through something very similar. And so I think, you know, the, what I would say is you're not alone. You don't have to, if you are suffering in silence, maybe you don't even know you are, but 
you may be given the data. Don't let's not do that. Right. Life is just too short to, to 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 surrender some of that to the misery of of the, the status quo that you're in. Let's not do that. Let's get you with others. Let's get you in in our program with our coaches and and our offerings that will help get you on a great path where you feel really supported and and can move on to your next chapter with confidence and like aligned to who you are, who your values are, supported by hopefully a wonderful group of people. So that I think that's what I'd say. Yeah, no, I I, I love that. And you had mentioned, you know, we have a loneliness epidemic, and I I think that's undeniable at this point. You're right; it doesn't seem to be getting talked about a whole lot. It's not getting certainly mainstream press coverage. Why do you think that is? Why why does that seem? It does seem to be now more than ever. Is it the divisiveness of culture? Is it is it compounded by coming out of COVID? But what? Why are we lo- more lonely now than ever? I think, well, very specifically and tactically, I think you're spot on around COVID. I think why it's exciting to be building more right now is I think people have been doing a lot of self-assessment around who they are, what their core values are, and, and how they want to engage with the with the world around them. So I think that, that that's a, a real great opportunity for us, that being very selfish, to talk about more. But I, I think you're spot on bringing it back to the question that that the COVID epidemic has played a key role, but it's something bigger than that. It's something bigger. And I think for, for us, it, you know, I, I don't want to position myself as the expert on this, but I, I as I've observed the data and, and we've been talking about this as we've been planning our business, you know, when you look at, there's uh, this whole concept of blue zones. I'm not sure if uh, you're familiar with them, but they are yeah, yep. locations around the globe where there's a high degree of uh, centigenarians uh, above global averages and there's some really like uh, okinawa if i remember correctly and and gosh place in costa rica Nicoya, costa rica's one this place in uh, italy yeah, yeah. So oddly enough italy loma linda california which is kind of an outlier. loma linda yeah, right? <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah but yes yeah. there are these air, these blue zones where there's this higher percentage of of lo- their longevity zones right their longevity zones and you know, my takeaway from and there's a wonderful netflix <laughs> Short series, if you're if people are Netflix subscribers on this. And, and the big takeaway for me that I saw embedded in these blue zones was community. Yes. And and there was, a, whether it was directly living with your family or in Loma Linda, I, I they talked a lot about communities around pickleball and some other things. But as we get older, what, what happens is our weak network, we have our strong networks. That's your core friends, your family Etc. Your weaker network starts to die down and whittle down. And that's where some of this loneliness starts to spring up. Like the networks we had as we get older in our professional networks or at the at the tennis club, if we were members of a club or something along those lines, those those relationships will start to, to die off. And so we have to do a really good job of bringing back those weak networks into our communities. So you feel less like, well, I've only got this handful of friends and these couple of family members, but there's there's more to your support network, as as it were. I think that's a big piece of something we we should really be be trying to solve. Uh, what we're trying to address it more is it's uh, it's absolutely what we're trying to build. But I think as a society, that's something we need to think about. And then the the sad thing is, and and I don't know about you, but I just see it in my own life. As you get older. Your friends start dying off. Your kids probably don't live nearby. I mean, I can't say that universe. I know my my instinct, but my experience, my family scattered all over the place, My my the family I grew up with. And so 
we're not all living around the parent, supporting them as they move through old age and their golden years and so forth, typically. And I think that that's a real challenge in our society, too, that we need to, to solve. And you know, more is not going to be able to solve that issue. But I think that is something we need to, to look at is how do, we, how do we treat our elders in our society? Yeah, I think you're spot on with the how do we treat our elders. You know, it, it, as I'm sure you're aware in traditional cultures, certainly all of the blue zones, if you try to read the book or watch the documentary or study that on your own, the elders are more revered in those cultures and societies, whereas here we're throwaway. Once we're no longer, quote unquote, productive, um, you know, move out of the way because we got places to go and, and stuff to do and you're just right. slowing us down yeah. kind of an That's attitude. Right. And I feel like this older generation, we possess so much wisdom and life experience that is so valuable for, for culture, for community, for, for our society at large. And I believe that that's very much being dismissed. And that may, that probably does feed into that loneliness, right? As, as we age, and we can certainly, in our age brackets, say 50s or 50s and 60s, our parents are now getting older. And certainly by the time we're that age, we're, you know, we're almost unseen at that point. So uh, that's very interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon that we do have this sort of loneliness epidemic. I believe that it is not just baby boomers or uh, Gen Xers. It's, it is, it's across the board. I think our young, our youth are suffering from loneliness now and certainly, certainly folks in our age bracket. But AJ, I wanted to go back. You had mentioned when you talked about more and you kind of, I think you were talking about sort of your philosophy and you had mentioned that you want to help people grow. You want to help people create their next steps. You wanted to help them discover, you know, discover their more. And you're talking about building this community. Talk a little bit more about maybe just operationally. How does that work? So when you say community, a lot of people are thinking, well, okay, there's community centers. There's my community, you know, the things I do socially. There's mm -hmm. social media. There's community there, right? Virtual community. What are you guys talking about? And how is it different from the community that we already have around us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't think our, what we're building is to replace an existing community by any stretch, right? I mean, we we all have our own communities, our friend communities, our neighborhood communities, our uh, church communities, our professional communities, I don't know, an, an AA community, if, if you're an AA, uh, school, alumni association communities. Like, when we think about, when we take a pullback here, and, and we look at the personal transformation space, the, the light bulb that went off in my head last summer is tragically went to the memorial service of a mountain biker who died not too far from where I had my heart attack from, you guessed it, <laughs> a heart attack. And it was an outdoor memorial service. And I would suggest there were 300 to 400 people there packed. I barely knew anybody there. And I looked around. I was in the back, standing room only, as you, which we were sandwiched in like, like sardines, if you will. As I looked across everybody attending the memorial service, I experienced this overwhelming sense of the power of community, that all these people come together to honor this person's life and to go through that transition with the decedent's family and loved ones. I was like, wow, this is powerful. And we're all around the same age group. And then the other component, so there's not only the memorial service, but then a local bar, this was actually on a Monday, and a local bar opened up and they had a grand, as part of the service, 
literally a grand old hootenanny <laughs> where people could just show up with their instruments, get on stage, pick a song. Everyone, the, the, the bandmates who you know you just met probably like okay what key are we playing whatever song in great let's uh, figure it out and go and everybody danced and cheered and sang along with them and, and i was like wow there's some element of play and just coming together and being playful in, in going through this transition and, and the power of the community and play so coming out of that i thought i think there's something here and so my my business partner otto Dreesen, based in texas he and I started to do some real thinking about this. And we started to look very critically at the personal transformation space. And there, there are some key models and points of differentiation I'd, I'd like to call out. So when you want to advance yourself or, or transform yourself personally, there are a few ways you can go. There is what I like to call the self-service model, right? So I read a book. I listen to podcasts. I watch TED Talks. I meditate. I listen to a meditation app, whatever, but it's a self-guided tour. I'm putting myself on to improve myself. Okay, fine. There's that model. There's what I like to call the one-to-one -one model where I'm working with a therapist or a coach or maybe both in some instances, but it's just really me and that person, that professional who's helping me work through whatever I'm either getting me to a goal or working through some issues of trauma I'm carrying with me or, or, or whatever it is. Another model is more of an institute model. Uh, where I go to a, a place, there are here on the West Coast, a few where you go, you check in on Monday, you hand your cell phone over, and you do a very intensive instructor-led course on some topic of that week. Navigating the death of a loved one, dealing with a childhood trauma, whatever that the topic is. As we looked across these various options, we thought, gosh, there's just nothing with this idea in mind of community and play. Like, there's nothing out there that really designs something around the community of others and going through this together, where the answer is not a guru led model, where the guru would be, in this case, me writing, or my business partner, Otto, writing the 12, 12 Steps to Happiness book. Like, we're thinking the answer is just within people. We're going to create the platform where people can jump in, join the community, engage with others. We have coaches planted, you know, our own coaches planted in there to help guide people to their self discovery or to their transformation uh, that they're seeking. So that's the, the community element. And then the play element is the other component. Play is, as we define it, is fun, creativity, and exploration. It's not like, okay, community, let's all go to Vegas. We're going to go clubbing, get bottle service, stay up till sunrise. No, it's more like, let's go someplace interesting and go for a hike. Or maybe we're going to, instead of do a retreat at a fancy five-star resort in wine country, we might do it at more of a glamping establishment. And for those, and we do those retreats and, ex and experiences, we're going to send a more coach to them to facilitate some interesting transformational introspective type conversations, but also to lead some elements of fun. Like maybe we'll do an improv session one evening or something like that, just to get people out of their comfort zone and tapping into their inner creativity to, to help break through to, to personal transformation. So we're not ultimately, as, as we think about it, to come back to your, to your original question, it's not replacing an existing community. It's, it's adding a new one to it. And there'll be people that look at this and say, that's ah, not for me. And I totally get it. <laughs> like, and there'll be people like, this is exactly what I need. I've tried these other models. I've looked at my other communities. I'm not getting what I need out of them. Like, come on in. You know, if you're in this demographic, like, please come check us out and see if we can be a solution to help you get to a better place. 
Yeah, I love that. And that's a that's a unique perspective that I think is gaining some traction. I've heard a similar description of existing transformational models and they're in other in other sectors, whether that's, you know, life coaching or whether that's um, overcoming autoimmunity disorders or you know just these people creating these communities that's not necessarily guru led like you said it's certainly not you know the one-on-one intensive it's it's not you know it's it's beyond the self-guided there is an element of structure so this very much this this power of community i, I suppose that this is maybe the pendulum swinging I, I this is the hopeful me saying this of the you know from the loneliness side of things we talked about where people are recognizing that and they're trying to build these communities these these structures for to help people obviously overcome this and to move forward i, I love the idea of personal transformation now when you say personal transformation so somebody listening to this do you have a specific set of transformation are these people that are looking to just level up their game in general or do they have specific goals when you say transformation this is like is it, am i safe to say that this is a transformation community a community that's bound together by the desire to transform to better themselves is is that kind of the gist or yeah yeah you're close i no no no. i mean not not necessarily i i think it's i would just fine tune it a little bit and say this is community for people to design and create their what's next and ultimately get more out of life love it and what when yeah and thank you and when we talked to people when we were building our business plan we heard we heard a few themes and so we built our business around this. So people might be wondering, your listeners might be wondering, okay, so what is this community? Like, I don't get it. So what we're building, the business, the offerings that we're creating are, there are three, three main ones that we're launching with. The first is around what do you, whether you want to call it purpose-driven travel, transformational travel, attentional travel. We're creating a, a portfolio of trips and experiences, retreats, local excursions that are out of the ordinary, maybe be a, a hint unexpected with a with a twist of adventure <laughs> in there. As I was talking Probably about earlier, fun, for people, right? and some sure, fun, and we're going to go explore, yeah. be creative, yeah. be with some like-minded people. Some I may know, some I may not, but we're all kind of leaning in together and wanting to mm-hmm. share and be a little vulnerable together and, and make new contacts and build up that weak network as we talked about and maybe create. So there's a whole element of trips and experiences. We heard a lot about, God, I'd love to go on a trip with people or, or meet people that are you know, I want to I pack my bags, go someplace and engage with others for a few days. And so so we heard that. So so that's one one thing we have going right now. The other element is these life transitions we talked about earlier, right? Everything we're going through in the sandwich generation. Lost my spouse through de- death or divorce. My parents are dying or need to move into memory care, whatever else is going on there. My kids move out of the house. I'm an empty nester. I'm I'm lost and rudderless. What, whatever. It doesn't have to be all these negative things, the heavy things. It could be like, oh, I'm planning for retirement. Like, hmm, anyone else out there want to do that? Or I came into some money and I want to totally quit my nine to five and take this job and shove it. Right? Like, you know, maybe there's, there's some stuff there too that you could vector in with, with like-minded people in a cohort that's a, a facilitator led discussion. So we have, we have coaches leading all those types of cohorts and discussions. So that's the second part. The third part is around reimagining your career. So we created a pro and everything we do is you're in a community. I'm, I'm, I'm hammering that nail well into the wood, <laughs> yeah. but the, the whole career program, we have coach led cohorts. We just launched our very first one yesterday, bright and early 8am out here on the West coast where people go through a, a 13 week program 
where they break down, understand their beliefs, break down any limiting beliefs, start building like a whole plan aligned to their values. And so they come out of this with like, ah, this is where I want to be going. This is who I truly am. This is what really matters to me. And maybe this is how I should think about reinvigorating, rebooting, reimagining my career or keeping my career, but layering in a passion project that will give me a sense of significance and fulfillment in my life. So those were the three areas we heard a lot of when we were doing focus groups and, and one-off coffees and things like that. So those are the three uh, offerings that, that we we bring to market now. Is there an element of leveling up? I think so, for sure. Whether it's in the career side or working through a transition that's really bringing right? you down. Yeah. yeah. And, and and ultimately, I mean, I know your your podcast is about fitness and health. You know, the element here is is mental health, which I think is really important to discuss. And, you know, again, we, we want to... Fu- what our mission is, is to fight this concept of suffering and silence and existential loneliness and just crippling apathy. Like that can weigh us down and cause so many problems that can be seen physically or, or not seen, which is even as equally scarier, if not scary, scarier. If I said that right. So releasing something or working through a transition or something that's bringing you down, weighing you down, causing you grief, causing you to suffer alone, feeling like you're isolated and no one understands your problems. We want to get rid of that. And by, by virtue of that, maybe that is a way to level up to steal your term to, to get you on a better path for your what's next. Absolutely. Love all of that. I love the idea that you're, that your mission really sounds like then is to help people discover what's next, get more out of life. I'd love the idea of more being the the name of the company. And AJ, I'd like to just, as we're wrapping up here, I'd like to finish just talking about the power of mindset, because it seems to me, and and listeners are probably getting tired of me beating this drum, because I've been on this mindset kick lately. And it, I started down this road of just asking myself, why are some people long-term successful at things? And look, I'm clearly I was looking at that through a health and fitness lens. So why could two people or say a hundred people get the exact same exercise and nutrition prescription and only three of them are going to meet and they all have a similar goal, whether it's weight loss or whatever, right? Why will such a small percentage of them ultimately achieve that long-term? And why will most of them fail? And why will most of them fail and start and fail and start, which is very common. And that could be anything, right? It could be your finances. It could be in romance. It could be in so many different things. It could be, you know, I'm going to meditate. I've personally in my life, I've had meditation come in and it's kind of fallen off and I've, things have deteriorated because I wasn't meditating regularly and I bring it back in, but I've never been that stiff. So that's what started me kind of thinking about where, where does mindset come into this long-term success? And then along come these neurobiologists talking about things like neuroplasticity. And there's the kind of the, the woo-woo side saying, well, there's the, what's the word for that man? You know, you can, we can manifest, we manifest our future, right? And all of this kind of comes together for me. And I'm thinking, okay, what seems to determine whether somebody is successful in these things like you're talking about and, and leveling up in their life and making their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, their best decade ever, sure, you need some practical tools. You absolutely do need – you need to take the steps that a 
a person who's living their best life would do. But I think that's just the basics. I think after that, probably community and mindset kind of go hand in hand, right? I, I remember when my kids were small, I used to tell them whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. And they would roll their eyes down. That's so dumb. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but right. it, there's some truth you're to right. that, right? And mm-hmm. as it turns out, I think that you know neuroscience is actually proving that if we continuously tell ourselves positive stories about ourselves, that will eventually start to wear a groove, so to speak, in our brain and actually start to fire neurons together so that we actually manifest this positive version of ourselves as opposed to when we constantly have this negative self-talk. And I know this is kind of going way, kind of take a left turn here, but I'd love to get your thoughts on where mindset fits into Gen, into into your into your population into this Gen X so people in their fifties, what what's the role of mindset and do you have any thoughts on what we could do to just improve mindset to improve quality of life to go along with all these other things we've talked about? Hmm. Yeah, that's a fascinating question, right? Like, yeah, it's one. I, do I mean, you, I don't have an answer. I'm not sure yeah, if one, but it's it's been on yeah, my mind a yeah, lot lately. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Gosh, I mean, I guess I'll answer it this way, and I'll answer it from a very personal level. Sure. Um, and, and I don't know if it actually gets us to where we want to be, but that's just what, what springs to mind because it's a really good question. Bring it back to where we started the whole conversation around the heart attack. When I was laying in bed, now I'm on leave. I'm still on leave and I'm asking these questions to the universe. What am I supposed to be doing with myself now that I'm a, a survivor? And, and do I just go back to my corporate America job and get back on that hamster wheel? But something shifted for me to your point about mindset. My mindset was things have to change for me to live the life I want to lead. By that, I mean, and I sat down with my wife, Liz, and I said, Everything's on the table right now for how I live my life, except for my relationship with you, my family, of course, and my, and my friends. Those are off limits. But everything else has, like, is up for consideration for change. And that, for me, was a massive shift in mindset, speaking of mindset, that I was going to put everything on the table and make wholesale changes, which I ultimately did, right? I left a, a long career in financial services for, for what I'm doing now. I changed my dietary habits. Slight alteration to my exercise routine. But I became committed to living the best version of myself I could be. And I became committed to that. And I never had that before the heart attack. I think I was thinking it like, oh, you know, I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm going to work. I'm bringing in the money. I'm saving the 401k plans growing, blah, 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 blah. But I don't know that I had committed myself to being the best version of of who I can be with the time I have left on this planet. So that was a mind, mindset shift for me. It was massive. There's a there's definitely a trigger that caused it clearly. That's my personal experience with mindset shifting. I think if I were to apply my own experience to maybe a broader sweeping generalization type comment, it's that I think you have to come to the to grips with who you are and where you want to be going. And I don't if you don't have that 
well laid out and you're not committed to getting there, and maybe that commitment of the mindset are the exact same thing. And that's where things fall down because I don't have that commitment. I don't have that mindset to be committed to get me to where I want to be. But I think this, when you start thinking about, ah, I have so many days on this planet and I, I feel like I'm going to sound like I'm so doom and gloom, Kevin, but it's like, we got only this much time, you know, on the grand scheme of things, it's infinitesimally small, our time here. What do you want to do to really max out your living here? And you have to make some commitments to get there. But I don't know that I've ultimately answered your question about what creates mindset or can improve people's mindset, but maybe that's a framework to help people think about that. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, I might have failed at answering your question. No, no, I don't you know, but that's my, my that's my best get. That's my best swing at it. <laughs> yeah, I love having this conversation with people, just yeah. kind of pulling this out. It seems to me that the mindset almost precedes the behavior, right? I mean, so yeah. many people, I think, go backwards. I'm, mm. I'm going to do these things. And then, and then I'll develop the mindset of this. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we have it backwards. Maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe you have to just do the things and the mindset follows. But it seems hmm. to me more likely the path for long-term success is to almost become the thing before you are mm -hmm. the thing, right? And, and mm -hmm. I, I don't know. At, at any rate, I, I think it's a fascinating conversation. It's it does seem that, yeah, mm -hmm. just that there, there's so much going back to the loneliness and I've read a statistic that I can't remember what percentage of our self-talk is negative for the average person, but it's shockingly, horrifyingly in the negative. Most of us aren't saying oh, yeah. beautiful, kind, affirming, Ooh. positive things to ourselves. And what does that do? How does that affect our actions? How does that affect our future actions? How does that affect our futures? And so anyway, a lot of that on my mind, but I appreciate you being game and, and playing along with me here. AJ. I tried. Yeah, I tried. No, you, you knocked it out of the park. I love it. I, I, okay. I, I, I do think that there is an element of commitment and I do, I hadn't really made that link, but commitment and mindset are definitely have to be linked hand in hand there at some point. All right. Well, AJ, we've been going here for a while. We talked a lot about, or a bit, I suppose, we just scratched the surface probably of your of your new business, this new venture more. Tell people where they can learn more about more and how they can connect with you and, and your business. Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. So our website is wearemore.io. So the, the just remember it's dot it's dot io, not another extension there. We are more. Concept there is we are more together and we are more as individuals. So Check us out, see what we're up to. You can reach out to us there. We'd love to hear from you. I'm on LinkedIn, on Adrian Jones. You can track me down there. Please reach out. Let me know what's on your mind and how we could collaborate or, or assist or be a, a solution for you. Fantastic. And folks, I will put all of that into the show notes. You guys can find that there. AJ, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your wisdom, your passion, your oh, story, you. being vulnerable with us, sharing yeah. your love with us. Really appreciate it. Wish you and your business all the best in the world. Well, thanks, Kevin. It was a wonderful conversation. You asked some great questions. I'm going to take that mindset question away and really think about that. But yeah, thank maybe, you for the opportunity. We'll and come back on and have a whole for, other mindset yeah. topic. I would episode. love that. I'm going to go do some reading and come yeah. back to you on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. 
I'll put the links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you folks can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 264. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to please give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.